This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 499 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and TotalSaddleFit.com. Tonight, we have a couple of great guests. Kimberly Goodwin-Clark comes on and talks about retraining and rehoming thoroughbred racehorses. And we are joined by our friend, Patty Mayer, who comes on to talk about working with happy athletes. Stanfield from Wellington, Florida. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. Hi, Reese. How are you doing today? <laughs> we're doing great. Well, we're going to spill it a little. We're actually recording a week early, so this is going to this is actually a pre-recorded show for us. Because uh, Phil, you you're doing something kind of cool. Like I'm we're really going on a big trip. trip. Yeah, you go on the My best trip. Meredith and I are heading in a couple of days. We're going to Central Africa, which is sort of interesting. So cool. You guys. Oh, it's so cool. You guys go. Seriously, you guys go on the best trips. Like, we really need to jump on the Phil Mayer trip. Well, you, okay. The caveat is that you have to love wildlife because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Going yeah. to these remote locations and and finding just the best, the best animals, basically. And, you know, and, you know, we... We like going and sort of visiting these places that, for one reason or another, may not exist in 20, 50 years. So this time we're going to Central Africa, and our, our the main reason is that we want to visit the mountain gorillas. In yeah, in we're going to Uganda to do this. You can do this in three countries. You can go to Rwanda. You can go to the Democratic Republic of Congo, or you can go to Uganda. This is the only place these mountain gorillas exist. They, There's not a single one in a zoo. Their numbers are really small. They're really trying to put money towards the gorilla conservation. And this is our way of participating in that, in that, in the, in the conservation of animals that are endangered. So this is the idea. We, we, we leave, like I said, we leave in a couple of days. We, we will be flying into Rwanda, into the capital city of Kigali. And then uh, we'll be picked up by a driver and we will be headed into the mountains, into the jungle. And we're going to do Gorilla Trek. So this is so you know, cool. really exciting. It's, our, it's sort of a, an idea about around our fifth you know, wedding anniversary. Oh my gosh, it's been five uh, yeah, years. We, we, yeah, we, so we don't do a lot of presents, you know, around around that or around Christmas, but we do love to do these crazy excursions. So we're not really the awesome. go relax vacation types because there's going to be a lot of hiking involved, a lot of outdoor activity, obviously, and uh, not a lot of lounging around and, and reading a book. I'm out. But, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, it depends <laughs> what you like, you know, on your vacations. You know? so no, we like um, going to warm places. That's very important. You know, get out of get out of the cold for a couple of weeks, and uh, and we like to, you know, do stuff and and be really active. And so there there'll be like five hours a day of hiking and trekking and you know whatever rain, sh- sunshine, whatever it's thrown at us. We're gonna that's our plan. 
Oh, I can't. I cannot wait to that's see the pictures in here. Yeah, that's where you'll be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's not like, you know, at the moment I'm not slumming it either. So I, I, we're, we're not You're complaining fine. here. You're fine. You sure. just look out the window at the palm trees. and Yeah, exactly. <laughs> drive the attention to the beach circles. or whatever it is. You're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I got it. No, but it's fantastic. So we're recording a little bit early in preparation for Philip being gone. So we hope you guys enjoy the show. And so there's no real news because we're, we're, we don't know what it will be. But we're looking forward. Next week actually is the USDF Trainers Conference, uh, the Judges Forum. So we'll have a lot of things to talk about that, which will be really fun. And then it may very well be our 500th show coming up so that's going to be really fun we're, we're going to have some plans for that so we, we both just looked up and, and looked at the number and and it's pretty cool so but i've actually had the real pleasure in the last week or so to meet some great listeners that are here in wellington and we really appreciate everyone that listens to the show and and keep it up so we're actually going to have a listener on today and we're going to start with a commercial from kentucky performance products The sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn. You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Microphase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet Microphase vitamin and mineral supplement is a low-calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us. Well, tonight we are very happy to have Kimberly Goodwin-Clark. She's a USDF bronze medalist and owner of Leeton Farm in Maryland, and she has found homes for over 1,000 retired thoroughbreds. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's my honor to be able to participate in your show. Oh, well, it sounds like you're a listener, so we always love to have listeners on and hear a little bit about your story. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well... I galloped, owned, and trained racehorses for almost 30 years, and during that time, I always found homes for my horses and friends' horses, and in 2008, I started to do it more formally, and it grew, and I had a, I was a good rider at the racetrack, but I really had to develop some skills for retraining the horses, and the go-to place was dressage to give the horse a foundation. And most of the horses that that I developed in the early years, we moved we moved them more quickly. And once in a while, horses would hang around, and we would turn it into a jumper or something like that. But later on, we started to see the need for to train them more to demonstrate their incredible potential because they can't really demonstrate it if they don't have the training and. The, my riding was developing, and there was more interested in 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 that. So we 
started to keep some horses that demonstrated great potential longer and tried to get them in front of people that would take them and go on with them. And we did have a horse Houdini who made it to the four-star level. And there's another horse right now that I think he's going to get ready to go advanced. He's already gone intermediate. And, of course, you notice there aren't dressage horses, but we finally got one here that basically told me the day he arrived, hey, lady, I'm a dressage horse. Mm -hmm. And he is successful at third level and schooling fourth level. And with the help of Linda Zhang, I I think he's unlimited. So it's really very exciting to have a horse that, that a thoroughbred that can represent the third, represent their potential at dressage. So Kimberly, can you tell us a little bit about thoroughbred placement resources and your own farm and and operation and, and how it all works? We're located in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and we do rely on grants and donations to help the horses. We, I do retraining of horses that people have had problems with. We do surgeries and rehabilitation where funding will allow. I did a lot of layup and after surgery care when I had a racing operation on the farm. And so the farm was set up originally for that, and it really lends itself well to now. It's very quiet, far from the road. It's a good place to bring horses when they retire from racing and give them a restart. And my brother, was, who is an excavator, was kind enough to build uh, an outdoor dressage arena so that I could ride and train the horses right here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us about like where are you where are you getting the horses from? I mean, do you have contacts within the thoroughbred industry that that might call you and say, "Hey, there's a horse that might you might be interested in." Can you tell us about that? Yes. And initially, because I I had I was at the racetrack I, for the first four or five years that I had the thoroughbred placement resources, I was still galloping and and training horses on a limited basis. And I would be there and a friend or a friend of a friend would say, hey, we have a horse for you. Can you help us? And if I couldn't take it, I would take pictures and do a video of the horse at the track and reach out to people, email, and find the horse at home a home that way. And even back then, we checked references and did our best to ensure that it was a it was a good home, a good solid home. And we had a good success rate with our, our placement. Now, I don't get off the farm so much. I have four to, to six horses on average to ride every day. And there's lots of paperwork associated with running a nonprofit. So I, I don't get off, but people call me and I have really trusted contacts that when they tell me the horse is sound and they're also competent enough to know if the horse has a problem because lots of times people aren't hiding the fact that the horse has a problem. They actually aren't sophisticated enough to know it. It's, it's and, a problem of ignorance rather than yeah, of sure. malice. Rather than deceit. And yeah. But I have some, I have more than a few people that I have known that I know their training style. I know how they treat horses and what good horsemen they are. And, and they, they send me horses. I have two horses that came from a farm in Berryville, Virginia this fall that are just, that are just lovely horses. And they're in the evaluation stage because the first thing they do, they come here and we evaluate them. And then 
they all get the found the dressage foundation training mm-hmm. that every horse should have. And then as the horse develops, I sort of try to figure out what it is they want to do. You know, what what is their best purpose going to be? Because that's the best chance for a successful future is to be in what they could be the best at and what they'll be happy at. Very true. Now, you've also written a book, correct? Yes. New Track, New Life. And it's to share the education the horse receives at the racetrack and the things that they know and also hopefully to let people give them insight into the things they don't know because they have very specialized training at the racetrack and they do have exposure to a lot of things, but they are handled by professionals from beginning until they retire. And most of the, most of the time their first interaction with an amateur or a novice is once they leave the racetrack and that can cause potential problems. So give us an example of one thing that the thoroughbred learns that people maybe don't understand so well one of the things i've seen a a mistake i've seen people make when they come to the farm they want to train the horse by itself and racehorses are used to training with 20 or 30 of their best friends you know galloping around the track and most most young horses that are new off the track would be much more comfortable if you were to train them in the presence of other horses and it, it just seems like when people get them off the track they're like it's a thoroughbred off the track. We're going to ride it alone. And here at my farm, I am alone a lot and I don't ride, but I take care knowing that the horse is probably going to be a little more paranoid until he gets used to the fact that he's the only one training in the arena. And we're talking about days, but I don't react if the horse is a little more nervous, you know, the first few times because he doesn't really know. But if you can get somebody else to ride their horse while you're riding your horse, it probably would would be beneficial. Oh, that's that's very interesting. That's that's a good tip. And if, do you have any other you know things that you would uh, help maybe if if somebody is working on dressage and you know what are some things maybe that carry over really well from from race training to to dressage training or things that don't carry over well? Well, I don't know if it's carryover, but I think a really important thing to know because I see people have trouble with this, is we do not get off the horses out in the open or in the training area, meaning the racetrack. We ride them back to the barn, into the stall. Somebody takes takes the bridle, and we dismount in the stall. Consequently, almost without fail, the first few times you dismount your horse, outside in the open in front of the barn or in the arena, the horse is going to be nervous. He's going to, he's going to say, what are you doing? Why are you getting off now? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's important not to overreact or get upset. And what I usually do is just try to have somebody come out and hold him and pet him in the, in the, in the arena while I dismount. And in two days, if we don't have any, any, you know, bad incidents, which you won't if somebody comes out and pets them and tells them it's okay when you dismount, then the horse is like, oh, okay, you get off me out here. But we just, unless you fall off on the racetrack, you get off back in the barn in the stall. And I think it's, you know, when I first started doing this work, there were people that would had the opinion that racehorses were crazy. And I never felt that way. And I started to ask myself, why would they think that? And that was part, that was another reason I wrote the book, because I realized there were 
there, there were things like that where the horse is getting nervous and you probably wouldn't know why unless somebody told you. Nobody ever gets dismounts outside. But then once you know it, it's like, oh, okay. And it's the totally same makes with sense. cross time. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't yeah cross-time. makes sense. Yes. Um, I had countless people in the beginning ask me, you know, when they called to inquire about a horse, how does he cross tie? And I thought that was such an odd question because I knew they had never cross tied. So it was very easy for me in a matter of a few days to show the horse that this is just a new way to be tied while you're being tacked up. But if you don't know the horse has never cross tied and you put him on cross ties in the middle of a busy barn, he's going to, he's going to step back. He's going to break loose. Then he's going to be scared. And then you have a cross tie problem. Knowledge is power. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You have like for, for so many people, myself included, like not knowing the protocols in, in a, mm-hmm. in a ra- race training barn or at a racetrack. Yeah. You'd be oblivious to these things. You, you'd think, Oh, the racehorse is going cross ties or, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. You wouldn't know. You would sure. no idea. And then you can sort of really scare a horse, you know, because they're very much used to, you know, any horse is just very much used to what's the regular routine and, 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 and make them nervous, you know, and then say thoroughbreds are nervous or thoroughbreds rear on cross. Just like you said, they get a bad rap where they're actually really lovely horses. You just have to know know what their training they've already received is and what their regular routine that they've already received is. And and yes, they may be high energy, but in my experience, thoroughbreds have been the easiest horses to do a lot of things with, whether it's vet work or, you know, showering or, you know, whatever. Whereas like the warm bloods introduced to the wash stall the first time or introduced to water the first time is like, can also get a bad rap for being being crazy, but it's just whatever their experience is, and they need to spend a little extra time training, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, and introducing, all of them are individuals, so you're introducing things. But on that note, one of the things the racehorses generally at a young age have had a lot lot of exposure to travel and pressure, you know, from racing. And that costs a lot of money to do because I have had horses that have never raced and going to the first show is, you know, the horse is like, this is the most exciting place I've ever been. (laughs) You go out, the horse says, this is the most excited place I've ever been. I've taken thoroughbreds before and they're standing around looking and saying, well, when's the excitement why is no one going fast yeah, yeah this yeah. is not that exciting what are we doing here you know so um but it is you know but each one is obviously an individual no matter what no matter what breed you have and you have to look at you know maybe the gaps in his training and try to fill them in what i will say about the dressage is i was fortunate that when i first started to do this, there was a local trainer here, Elizabeth Mavliner, who was a dressage trainer, and she had experience with thoroughbreds, and it made it, once I started to learn the dressage for my riding to change, to change my riding, because I was an exercise rider, that is what I did, and just the foundation and the, and communicating the new job to the horse was so much easier and more straightforward because the racehorse, really like any horse, when you put him in this little tiny arena, he's used to a big giant racetrack, his 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 concern is how do I stay upright? How do I find balance? You know, because I'm used to going faster to get my balance and I can't do that in here. And the dressage was just such an effective 
and, and smart way to show the horse how to balance himself so that he could build confidence and not be nervous about, you know, being ridden in, in the small area and learn how to do a circle and how to do transitions and what to do, you know, do with his weight. And it really, to me, has made all the difference in the world. And lots of the problems I see that people have with thoroughbreds off the track is they're generous, they'll do what you ask, and they sort of skip step one, two, and three, the basic fundamentals, and they're jumping fences and doing all this stuff and upsetting the balance of the horse more, and the horse doesn't have any of the tools to deal with it. So now he's going faster to find balance, and then they're overbidding him to bring him back rather than just developing the the, the correct muscle and giving the horse the correct training to be able to deal with finding his balance. So maybe you can just sort of continue that thought for us and give us a few uh, or, you know, an introductory tips to what are the, you know, the first things that, you know, that you're teaching or or training a a horse, whether thoroughbred or, you know, what's your program look like? The first thing I do is walk them in hand and teach them walk from my voice and halt from my voice. And I teach them to, to lunge at the walk. I want them to walk around me in a circle and halt when I say halt. And lots of them have been maybe, I don't call it lunge it, but chased around in a circle at some point in their lives. And they want to run out to the end and run. And until they will walk calmly around me and halt, we don't trot. We just, it's just to introduce the horse to a new routine to make it easy for him to be successful because he can walk around me in a circle. And, you know, a lot of times I think they think they can't really, particularly when you ask them to canter in that little tiny arena, they're thinking, you know, I can't gallop in here because we don't really canter at the racetrack. We gallop. Mm -hmm. But I start out with lunging, which I know it's like boring and not exciting, but that's Mm -hmm. the whole idea when when the horse is, is, is solid, you know. I he, I take him out and he goes to to the end of the lunge line, not just on a small circle, and walks and halts. Then we start trot, and it goes pretty quick once you have that foundation. Usually in two weeks, I can have the horse walk, trot, and canter around me, and it's consistent and it's by the by the voice commands. So then we have a training routine. Then I will usually get on them, lunge them, just five to ten minutes, not to get them tired. Tired, getting them tired, get them fit. And then I will start to like walk and trot and hack them around the farm with another horse. Um, I, I have some older horses that were ponies and, and that's another, here's a great training tip. The pony is the pacifier. And if you ride the baby racehorse, doesn't matter what age he is, he's a baby racehorse when you're training him for a new job with his head near on the right side of the horse near the shoulder of the quiet horse it's like a pacifier because at the racetrack if you watch how they're ponied they will most of the time go in pony mode and just sort of go with the other horse around the farm it, it, mm. it, it's, it's a big helper and if you can you get saw. the person on the other horse to drop their hand down it's you know like they're ponying them on a lead you don't have to put a lead on them but just put their hand down just pretend yeah really relax to that and so you get your you know your first couple days you know strolling around the farm with the quiet horse and you know they learn from each other and they're like okay i'll be quiet and relax too it just it's just an easier transition and an easier way to let the horse 
see, you know, some horses have been trained on the farm. Like when I trained horses, when I broke my horses, I always broke them on the farm and I would bring them home and gallop them around the farm, you know, for breaks from the racetrack. And I knew other trainers. Uh, I learned from a trainer, the Merriman's, the Merriman family, and they always took their horses home to the farm. So, you know, a lot of horses have been on a farm or, and even trained on a farm or been turned out and rested there. But, you know, but you have to kind of, you don't know their history. So you sort of have to act like maybe he's never done this before. And um, if you can get another horse to go with them, it's always a big help. Alone, a lot of horses will be really nervous because they're just now, now you're going out to them, the great wilderness by themselves. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight. This is fantastic. And people want to find more information about your book Uh, the farm, the charity that you guys host, how do they do that? Go to goodhorse.org. It's just like it sounds, G-O-O-D-H-O-R-S-E dot O-R-G. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And great insight. Thank you so much. And we look forward to having you on again. All right. Thank you. I would love it. This was wonderful. Well, Phil, for our total saddle fit spot here, we are actually looking for a listener who uses the GERS. We'd love you to come on and talk to us and to Justin about your use of the GERS and the products. Uh, Total Saddle Fit has some fantastic new products that are coming out uh, that Justin's going to come on the show and talk to us about. Uh, They have stirrup leathers and they have a synthetic girth that's in a more jumping type size. So we're really excited and we'd also really like to hear if you are using the girth and you've had good luck with it send us an email reese at horseradionetwork.com or philip horseradionetwork.com and we'd love to hear from you so uh, we're really looking forward to justin coming on the program uh and he has fantastic products and if you have yeah i'm i'm, I'm sure i'm sure his his design girths and all all of the other great you know the saddle pads and are helping people and helping horses out there so now, now we need a little bit of audience participation to to talk about it. Or if you have a question for him, he's going to be on our show. We can get it sorted out, and, and we can have a little bit of a, a saddle fit powwow, which would be great. I love it. I love it. And we have a great total saddle fit tip of the week from a dear friend of both of ours, Patty Mayer, and we hope you enjoy it. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, this evening, it's truly my honor to have one of my very good friends, Patty Mayer, on the show. She's an international dressage competitor. She's a judge. She's a certified instructor. And in her spare time, she had an amazing career as an entertainment attorney. Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Well, we have to tell the story real quickly. <laughs> you and I met, it's yes. been over 20 years now at Hofgott Neuhof yes. in Germany, and I was a whippersnapper for sure, and you got me out of some, some trouble, but we, we <laughs> remain friends. And, <laughs> we, I got you out of some trouble that we are not going to talk about on this program. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably ever. This is before social media, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, and Very um, secret trouble. Yeah. <laughs> very secret trouble. But Patty's been one of my mentors for years. So, Patty, we're so happy to have you on the show, and I'm sorry it's taken us this long, but you have a fantastic Total Saddle Fit tip of the week for us. What, what do you have for us? So what I'd like to talk about is 
the development of a dressage horse as a happy athlete, as a cooperative dance partner. Because you know, when you first asked me to do this, you said, what's kind of a pet peeve of mine? And I thought, it's, it's really that people look at dressage as, okay, this is my normal way of saying it. You know, as we all know, dressage is French for scared to jump, right? So, you know, <laughs> you've, you've, been, you've been a hump seat rider for years and you've crashed too many fences and then suddenly you're a dressage rider or scared to canter sometimes. That's not really what dressage is about to me. To me, dressage is about allowing a horse to express itself through movement. So if you think about those totally annoying people who you remember from high school, at least I remember from high school, who were the ballet dancers who spent their time in high school and college stretching and, you know, like touching their head to their knees, like in the hallways, because as one does, to me, that's actually the sort of creature, the sort of thing you want your horse to really want to do, that the thing that makes a horse beautiful through dressage or dressage does make a horse beautiful. And the thing that does that is their desire to express themselves, their desire to move their bodies, their desire to do more of it, to play with their bodies. And I think that we lose sight of that sometimes when we get obsessed with whether the shoulder ends on three tracks <laughs> or whether or whether the halt is totally square, that sometimes we lose the joy of developing an athlete and developing a, not just happy, but an enthusiastic athlete, an enthusiastic dance partner. So there you go. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah, I think good, it's good, good. I, yeah. I kind of like this topic because I think, you know, what you're talking about is very interesting, but on the other side of of the coin of dressage is control, right? We want we want to create that partnership that we can just think of a movement and the horse is doing it. And I think that part of what you're talking about is our desire to control the horse sometimes overcomes the, the desire, the, the yeah, desire the to be a free the moving. Yeah. Yeah, a, a free moving beautiful beautiful athlete. Yeah. Yes, is, and you have to uh, balance these two things in, in your daily training, I think. Yes, but I'm saying that with a little hesitation because I think that when we talk about control when in the training scale or in, in you know, dressage says we talk about submission, I hate the word submission. I just think that it sounds like slavery. And I'm not super fond of the word control because to me that sounds sounds more like bondage. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they've taken taken the word submission out of some of the texts and and the tests that that we see. So I think, yeah, this is is a really good discussion. Yeah, and, you know, we are never, and again, going back to dressage essentially for scared to jump, we are never going to make horseback riding a totally safe thing. Because they're horses and they can you know, fall down or spook and you happen to come off or, you know, just silly things happen and they step on your foot. But with that said, what we can do is give, give our horses and ourselves joy. And I don't think that the square halt, not as much as I, you know, love square halts, I don't think that that's, that's what does it. I mean, if you think about developing a horse up through the levels, what, what's the most fun for your horse? I mean. Some, for some horses, maybe a stretchy circle, right? But for sure, horses love to do flying changes. I mean, they do. It's like bucking, but better. 
because you know you get a good pat for it, right? Yeah, um, walking with sugar. Yes, but but it, yeah, I, that's right. But it can be done so badly because I have an interesting situation here in Florida with a couple of my horses. One horse mm-hmm. I'm teaching. I've had this horse since he was a young horse. Both both mm-hmm. the, both you two know this horse. I've had him mm-hmm. since a young horse. You know, he's learning them. It's really not a big deal. It's it's really sort of just part of the day. And well, I have another horse who was clearly forced into doing them. And mm-hmm. I hope I can fix it, but yeah. it's going to take me a year, probably. Yeah. I mean, really, to really get all the tension out. And he has so much sort of fear and, and, and you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been done. And the reason it was taught was, you know, the one horse that I have, the young horse growing, mm-hmm. but the one horse, he's being taught when he's ready to be taught. And, mm-hmm. and I don't have a, with this particular horse, I own him. There's no pressure for me. I, do, I don't have a desire necessarily to show him until I really have something to show. So I don't have a lot of pressure. Well, the other horse was taught flying changes uh, due to competition, right? They yeah. wanted to go to the next level. This is even a different different sport even, but, you know, they wanted to go to the next level. So it's, it's this two very different situations where one is not a big deal and one is now a big deal. And it is but difficult to fix because he was sort of forced into it before he was right, ready. Because it wasn't done from it wasn't done from progressive training. It wasn't right. done from athleticism, and it wasn't done from joy. Right? right. I mean, my baby horses all knew how to do flying changes. Like three year olds, four year olds. When I get on them, I get up into a two point. I gallop across the arena. I give them a little kick with the outside leg. They'll change up. Why? Yeah. Because it's like booking, but better. <laughs> and mommy gives you a big pat and tells you you're awesome. And that's so much fun for them. I'm going to tell you that I think Piaf Passage is so much fun for them. I think extended trots are so much fun. You know, I mean, I think probably half past, if, if I were a horse, you know, maybe half past her shoulder, a little boring, whatever. Do those things that involve them using their body in an expressive way gives them joy. Assuming, and Reese, you're right, assuming that no one has made a big deal out of it, forced it, made it a punishment. I mean, you know, you can punish a, a child for dancing and they're not going to like dancing anymore. You can punish a child for skipping or for singing. And what we should be doing with our horses is telling them they are amazing for doing these things and, and telling them it's so much fun. And if you tell the horse it's so much fun, whether with sugar, whether with your voice, whether with a scratch on the neck, uh, whether with a pat, although our, our friend, Mr. Schumacher, would kill us for that. <laughs> we should just Only relax our shoulders. He doesn't really like that. We should just relax our shoulders, and that's their award. <laughs> um, I'm, a big, I'm a big patter and a big sugar person, personally. <laughs> he just doesn't like patting at certain times, which, you know, of course, when you're like, I'm amazing, and you pat them, he, he's like, why'd you do yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Because I was like, so excited. Oh, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we don't throw him but, under the bus. You know, that's right. But like, you know, my Grand Prix horse now I got when he didn't have any changes, right? He was seven years old. He had no changes. And the, and literally I got a change on him when I tried him out because I just got you know, got up into a two point, had a little hand gallop and gave him a little kick. And he was like, wow, this is awesome. And he has a ton, you know, he has beautiful changes. He has, you know, he's a Grand Prix horse now. And he almost steps too far under and, you know, is too expressive. We need to kind of calm it all down. <laughs> so, you know, to me, all of those things are so much fun. And Reese, I totally agree with you that it's about development, about the timing of your ask, but it's also about the joy with which you ask. 
No, I think there's a big difference. And we were just talking about that. You know, competition creates sort of that sort of fast track in a way. You know, I have to get a medal or I have to go to a horse show or I have to. Or I have um, to do the next level the I next year. I have to do the next level the next year. Yeah, that's year. a big one that I see a lot. Yeah. yeah. Like I did, I did first level, level. Now I want to yeah. do second level and now I want to yeah. do third level. And yeah, that's mm. not always the, you know, the best way. Right. Because I, I agree, but it's always good to have a challenge. And it's always good to have a goal. And just like your horse, just like you want your horse looking through the bridle for the next thing, you want yourself, it, it, your only student, if, looking through the bridle for the next only thing. Only though, Patty, oh, right now I know you agree with me on this because it, we've talked about it. It's only if the, you're ready. You know, don't yes. miss the journey for the medal or don't miss, yes. uh, you know, I have another yeah. horse where I literally yeah. had to take him out of competition for a year. And the owner, I think at first was really annoyed with me. She's like, well, but everyone else is going to the show and I want him to go to the show. I'm like, he was national champion. I get it, but he's not ready for the next level. Mm-hmm. And a year later, she's like, I am so thankful you didn't have him go to right. worship. And I, right. and I said that, I said, I know. And that's why you have a professional that you work with to say, Hey, you know, he's doing really well, but for the next year, he needs to spend time doing gym work and having right. fun and, and getting stronger. So I think that's always the challenge, right? Yes. We want a challenge. We want to be moving forward. You want to mm-hmm. do that. But if the joy comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that I love how you said that the joy, if the Mm -hmm. joy of training and the joy of the journey comes out, then, then you have to be careful and you have to step for either the horse or the rider. I mean, I totally agree with that, but I also think you always have, and, and Reese, you're awesome at this, right? You always need to have your eye on the development of the athlete. So people, you know, you hear people say, I'm a first level rider or I'm a second level rider, or my horse is second level, that's all it's ever going to be. And that's not dressage in some way, right? It, it's because we're trying always to, in again, in a happy, joyful, great horsemanship, sound, lots of sugar, lots of that sort of way, create an athlete who is so happy with himself or herself at the end of the day that they're like, this is so cool what I do every day in this arena. Or in my horse, my horse is all on trails too, right? Or what I do out on the trail. Um, and I think that you're right that you have to develop a horse both mentally and physically. And that you have to be super aware of its physical capabilities and its happiness. But you, I think you also, I think people get stuck. I think people get imaginatively stuck. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that shoulder in really could be a little better. That leg yield isn't quite parallel. Um, you know, I had too many walk steps into the halt at training level, all of which is super important because I think that we do need mental discipline to do these things and to do them well. But sometimes I think people get in their kind of stuck in their own brains about it. Yeah, and get, get, getting stuck in the dressage box too much and getting, you know, I, I, the point I was trying to make early on about, you know, about that control stuff and about, you know, doing mm-hmm. too many halts. And it's just some cross training, you know, when you said about riding dressage on a trail, some cross training is wonderful for oh, yeah. your to make your horse more of a rounded athlete and to bring that expression and joy and not doing, you know, 100 halts every day. Um, because right. there's two in every test, you know, uh, we talk about, <laughs> a lot about a lot about the movements in dressage on the show, especially and trying to explain them and talk about how discipline is so important. But especially if you've bought yourself 
a really nice young horse that needs to move. And if you, mm-hmm. and if you bought the horse for, you know, a dressage career, that it's probably a pretty athletic, pretty expressive horse already. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes they buck and sometimes they do crazy things, but that's because Hang they on, are athletic. Out. Yeah. Right. Because they're already athletic and you don't want to mm-hmm. tamper that down with being too much in the dressage box. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm going to give you two stories about that, if it's okay. The first is when I was, you know, before Isaac, and this is literally true, before Isaac were born, I was one of Hildegard's working students one summer between, I guess, between my two years of grad school and before law school, because I went to school for a long time, (laughs) to college for a long time. And I remember we went out on trails on on her two stallions. And she would just basically send us out on trails. I'm sure we weren't wearing helmets. You know, slap us on the button, say, you know, head off. And oh, by the way, if they want to pee off or passage, they want to passage on the trail, give them a pat. Like, you know, so we'd be out there on two stallions, like going, okay. So shaking a <laughs> little bit. Let them do that's what they awesome. feel like doing. Yeah. yeah, give them a pat. And, you know, and I've never forgotten that, that her horses were always happy, happy with what they were doing for that. And I try super hard to make sure my horses have big smiles on their face and it's not because their bits are too high in their mouths. <laughs> you know, that, they, that they are thrilled to see me in the barn because they know that it's going to be a fun day. So I guess my other thing is we were talking about horses that are kind of born and bred to do this. As Reese is incredibly aware, I tend to buy horses who weren't bred to do this, but who have a ton of fun doing it anyway. And you know, I, again, because I'm elderly, I grew up in a time when we there weren't warm bloods in the United States, right? We were doing dressage on thoroughbreds and quarter horses and draft crosses and whatever the heck else we could pull out of a field or get off a racetrack. And guess what? They also had fun doing it. And they might not have been the best athletes, but, you know, one of my friends had, you know, has trained, I think, four horses to Grand Prix. And I would tell you my favorite Grand Prix horse of hers was a quarter horse. And it just had a great Piaf Passage tour. And yeah, its changes weren't as through and as expressive as, as a warm bloods would be. But my gosh, he did 15 one-time changes with a little smile on his little face and his little ears up. And so I guess I think going back to the concept of progressive training and creating an athlete, it wasn't just that she had made this, you know, a horse who was bred to be obedient, a good quarter horse into a very obedient animal, which he clearly was. But she had also given him tools to become a more expressive animal, to become a more expressive, happy athlete. And I just love that. And so, you know, for, for people who, you know, aren't going out and buying fancy warm bloods, you know, I mean, I have, you know, a half Arabian, half Dutch carriage who's, you know, have trained up to Grand Prix and who is just an awesome Grand Prix horse. And, and I also have a fancy Dutch Warmblood who is too, but interestingly, it's, I'll tell you, it's a little harder for the Dutch Warmblood than it is for the half Arabian who just, I mean, again, he just comes out of the stall every day thinking, could, could I pee off about 55 steps on the spot in diagonal pairs for you? Um, so <laughs> he's a little engine that could for sure. <laughs> he is, he is, he's an enthusiast, this little Bob. So, I mean, I actually feel pretty strongly that one of the things you know, that as dressage riders, as horse owners, we are responsible in some way for making these horses more beautiful, both inside and outside. And obviously a dressage horse is just, I mean, you know, again, I buy horses that are 
I mean, I buy, I have a couple of fancy ones, but in general, I buy, you know, horses from like an Amish farmer friend of mine who, you know, and I, and they really become these beautiful, beautiful animals because dressage makes them that. It just does. I mean, my kind of famous horse exact was, you know, I mean, he was a real normal Dutch horse. He was a Hunnega horse, whatever that means. It's an old breed in Holland. So he was an old fashioned kind of Dutch horse. And as a young horse, he was so ugly. And I rode with Hilda at the time that Hilda would not let him out of his stall on the showgrounds without a full cooler on him. She didn't want anyone to see his confirmation. And I'm dead serious. Like she had, she had him wrapped up. Like we were not allowed out of the stall unless he was basically wrapped up so no one could see him. But my gosh, by the time he was a Grand Prix horse, he was stunning. He was yeah. stunning. And, you know, kind of a weird color because he was, you know, Pinto. But, you know, absolutely a beautiful, spectacular horse. Absolutely. And dressage made him that way. Yeah. And no, it's so true. I mean, I think that's that's the the moral of, of the story and it's it's what we what we do every day and every every week and uh but Patty, we can't thank you enough for coming on and talking to us about just making it fun and joyful for everyone. How could our listeners find you online if they are in California or looking for you? Ah, well, if they're looking for me, I'm a little bit north of Los Angeles and my email is, and I'm going to say it and then spell it, <laughs> bailiwickhouse at gmail.com. My barn's name is Bailiwick House, and it's spelled B-A-I-L-I-W-I-C-K-H-O-U-S-E, Bailiwick House, and you should look up what Bailiwick means if you don't know. And <laughs> sorry to Lori of me, and, <laughs> and uh, I'm on Facebook as well. So there you go. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Patty. We can't wait to have you on next time. Oh, I I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Well, as always, we love our emails and Facebook shout outs. Keep them coming. And again, we are looking for a listener who will come on and uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with the Total Saddle Fit Girth. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back. And Phil and Mayor, have a great vacation, and we'll talk to you guys soon. 